Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. This is Lauren Richmond Jr., and today we're welcoming Reverend Gail Caffarata to the show. Gail received her PhD in sociology from the University of Chicago and then went on to serve for 22 years as a medical sociologist in universities, including the National Center for Health Services Research, Children's Hospital Boston, and other nonprofits, writing over 25 academic and government publications. In 1997, she received her MDiv from Episcopal Divinity School and served a Northern California congregation for nine years before it closed. Gail was heartbroken when the church she pastored voted to close its doors. It may have been the right decision, but it led to a million questions in her mind about her call, leadership, and future. She began to think about other pastors who closed churches who might be going through the same experience. This led her to conduct a sociological study of over 130 pastors in five historically established denominations, including the Episcopal, Lutheran, United Methodist, Presbyterian, and United Churches of Christ, who were called to serve churches that closed. So her book is The Last Pastor, which we'll be talking about here shortly, and it shares the results of that study and the hard-won lessons learned by these courageous pastors. Also interesting of note is Pastor Gail will be interviewing me, in a sense, asking me some of the questions from her research, as well as sharing some insights from her book. So welcome to the show. All right, welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr., and today I'm pleased to be welcoming Pastor Gail Caffarata. How are you doing today? Good. It's a beautiful day here in California. Great, great. Thanks so much for your thanks for thanks for being here. Thanks for making time on your schedule. Uh, tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself. Um, born and raised uh, a Christian, I was baptized in the Dutch Reformed Church and became an Episcopalian at age six. Um, I spent most of my life as a medical sociologist. Was ordained a priest in two thousand two in the Episcopal Church. And then for nine years, I served a mission church uh, in the Diocese of Northern California from 2003 to 2012, at which time it closed. And, um, and then I took some time off to take care of myself and realized that I had the interest and the passion to write a book about closing a church because it was really the hardest thing I'd ever done in my life. Hmm. The book came out in 2020, The Last Pastor. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've just committed myself to promoting the ideas from the book in, and especially working with smaller congregations in preaching. Yeah. Yeah. Share, if you would, kind of about your faith journey, what that's looked like um, previously and, and what that looks like today. I was I was raised an Episcopalian, but left the church for about 11 years when I was in college and in mm. graduate school because I felt that it wasn't dealing with the uh, social issues of our time, mm-hmm. that the focus was on belief and mm. 
faithfulness to the church, but not mission work, not being out in the community and acting on faith. Um, when my daughter, my first child was born, I sat in the hospital and looked at this little infant and her beautiful eyes and fingernails. And I said, only God could have done this. Hmm. And I went back to church and I haven't left it since. Wow. What a profound moment. What a sacred moment I'm sure that was. It was. I went home from the hospital and pulled out a phone book. I didn't mm -hmm. even know where the Episcopal Church was in my city because I was working in a different city from the place where I'd grown up and uh, went to church and never left. Mm. And and for me, the faith journey, it's been a journey. Um, but what has been really clear to me since closing my church is it really is about death and resurrection. Hmm. And it's about mm -hmm. discipleship. It's about making sacrifices and doing everything that I can uh, to be faithful to God and the call that I've been given and the gifts and skills that I've been given mm -hmm. um, to live out who I am and to become more and more who God is creating me to be. I think that the church today um, has a lot of challenges that it's facing, and I think we'll talk about more about that in the course of the interview. Yeah. yeah. Um, we're obviously going to talk about your book, The Last Pastor, and I'm kind of curious if I can ask this already. Can you talk about a spiritual practice that was sustaining for you, if you can remember? Oh, yes. During the closing or after the closing of your church? Sure. Um. It was the, uh, my issues were never with God in the closing of the church. Mm -hmm. um, God was faithful to us throughout. God was present with us in our distress, in our suffering, um, in our discernment, in our celebration of our ministries throughout the years, um, in our closing, in the support that we had from the community in that process. Um, and the support that I had from friends and colleagues and a therapist um, and a mm -hmm. spiritual director, um, the spiritual practices that got me through it were making time for prayer. Hmm. And as an Episcopalian, mm -hmm. praying the daily office is an important spiritual discipline for me. Mm -hmm. um, I have a little prayer desk and an area where I have flowers and Bible and a prayer book and uh, little mementos from my faith journey, like a, like stones. Um, and I open up the prayer book every morning and do the daily office, which means reading four lessons from scripture and praying. And then in the midst of that, having moments of silence to try to hear what God is saying to me. And sometimes, if it's a really stressful time, I'll just pull out my journal and start writing a prayer huh. to God. Dear God, this is what's not going right today. Or thank you mm -hmm. for the blessing of this thing that just happened in my life, you know? Uh, yeah. Those are the spiritual practices. I have a spiritual director. Um who is a lay Catholic woman, and I see her once a month, and we talk about God and where God is in my life. And she introduces me to new ideas about how to listen to God or how to talk to God. And 
that's essential to me too as well. Mm-hmm. I've had colleagues. I have a colleague group. I had a colleague group throughout the closing of my church of women pastors. I was the only Episcopalian. There were Methodists and mostly Presbyterian ministers in it. And mm-hmm. we met for breakfast every other week. And it was a place to talk about all those ways in which we were feeling stretched and challenged and supported and found by God in our various ministries. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that what's central for me is being clear every day that I have time. I spend time with God. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is praying the, di- praying the Lord's Prayer mm-hmm. slowly, verse hmm. by verse, and then meditating after each verse. Hmm. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Well, hallowed be God, I would pray, you know, for a couple of minutes about all the blessings and grace that I've experienced. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It would be my yearning for the healing of the universe. Yeah. What are my prayers for healing for people, for the, this nation, from the church with which I'm affiliated, that sort of thing? And and so mm-hmm. on. So that's an important spiritual practice for me. And I often do that outdoors when I'm walking in the wilderness. Yeah. Well, that's that's so rich, and I appreciate you sharing that. I know in my own life, I found that even just thinking back through my day about what I'm grateful for in that day yes. is so helpful in going to sleep. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, I had Gail on the show. She is the author of the book, The Last Pastor, as mentioned, Faithfully Steering a Closing Church. And I'll just say for listeners, I've read a lot of books. Uh, this is the best book that I've read on closing a church. And I think I think it's obviously evident, Gail, of your, your rich academic and um, research side, you know, being a, a sociologist and the level of I always get the two confused, right? Um, I guess it would be qualitative and analyst, right? Yes. Analysis. Yes, that's it. (laughs) You you brought here. So I really, 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 really want to recommend the book to anyone who's been through a church closing, who thinks that might be in their church's future. Um, And we're going to kind of do things differently today. Um. I asked kind of Gail to to kind of flip the flip the podcast around here a little bit, um, and for Gail to ask me some questions, as I have someone who's been through um, two church closings, one very one uh, very closely and um, impactfully, I guess we might say. So um, we're gonna you know kind of just see how this goes, and and Gail, I'm gonna kind of just uh, hand it off to you metaphorically. Okay, I'm gonna talk. Um, ask you about your service. I understand you uh, served at Mission Gathering Christian Church. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me how you came to that church? Yeah, so this was this was about I want to say like in the winter of 2017, 2018 type, you know, I'd kind of a, a strong, you know, uh, a strong call, I believe, to to start something new. Um and I'd been talking with 
some middle judicatory folks in my denomination, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, in my region, um, had had um, gone to some events and 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 kind of um, run in some some other folks. I'll call them a church planning network in my denomination, uh-huh. and um, things kind of just th- things kind of just came together where I had the um, the opportunity and some financial support to start um, this church in my neck of the woods in Thornton, Colorado. And um, what I would, what I used to tell people about the church is that it was kind of envisioned to be um, kind of a melding of kind of three, uh, three traditions of inclusivity, um, liturgy. So, incorporating some liturgical elements and also some evangelical evangelical kind of uh, music st- and, and styling um, elements. So it really was trying to meld kind of three traditions in a way, you know, being an inclusive affirming church, um, incorporating some elements of liturgy and traditional Christian practice, and also trying to incorporate some evangelical elements. Um, and that officially launched, so to speak, in, gosh, it would have been I think October, actually. No, September of 2018. So nearly, gosh, four or five years ago. It's hard to keep track, right? Right. Five years ago. Right. Um, you know, it was it was a it was a a mobile church, meaning we did a setup and teardown in elementary schools. Um, had to change locations once. Um, and we were doing okay. Um, we were averaging about 35 people, so not great by any stretch, but kind of like kind of average for, you know, a mainline church, so to speak. And then obviously about a year and a half in, obviously we dealt with COVID, which obviously was quite disruptive. Oh my Um, goodness. Yes. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, it was, I think we'll probably talk more about it here in time, but in May, no, Easter, really Easter of 21, um, the decision was made to to shut things down, so to speak. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the 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 thirty thousand foot overview. Right. So, what were you, at that time of your life and where you were in your spiritual journey? What did it mean to be the pastor of this church? What were you hoping for? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it was kind of like a combination of like me being very aspirational about church. Um, like having big dreams for what church can and could be. And also like feeling like an opportunity to really kind of live into my giftings, if that makes sense. Sure it does. Sure it does. Can you tell me about your relationship with this middle, middle judicatory? What were your expectations when you went into the church and how did they change, if any? Yeah, I mean... I, I kind of need to tread lightly here. I'll, I'll just sure. confess for our listeners. Sure. And I think this is what kind of made it complicated. Um, well, I'll just say this is what made it complicated because there was the middle judicatory who was providing the funding. And then there was like a network um, for our listeners. Mission gathering was essentially the network uh, of a church planning network, so to speak, in the larger denomination. And uh the structure was set up where um, the middle judicatory provided the funding, uh, but the the network provided the oversight. Um, 
So it kind of made it kind of complicated. And essentially I had two bosses. I can see that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when the decision was made, what did you strive for? Which decision? When the decision was made to close the church. What did you strive for? Talk a bit more about what you mean by strive. What did you hope for for the people who are members of your congregation? Yeah, I think this is where I think this is where it kind of gets complicated. Um, being a church start versus like an established congregation. Okay. Because like some folks who I've talked to who've been part of established congregations, um, there's a there's like an, a disappointment, like, oh man, I I'm bummed that this church is not able to continue. Um, but for me, and I think from other church planters I've talked to, the loss and pain is far more profound and deep grief. Um, so for better or worse, and you know, I think some people may, it is what it is. I found myself having to do a lot of just caring to my own trauma to use a word or, or deep, deep kind of pain. And I think, you know, to, to get back to your original question, there was, you know, there was some hope, I think from, from my end that persons might, you know, seek to continue to collab or stay in a relationship in some capacity. Um, certainly there's a hope that they would stay in church or connect with another church. Um, uh-huh, but uh-huh. I found myself doing so much just kind of like. Um, trying to stay afloat. Yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to stay afloat. Well, I th- your story is so typical of the stories that I heard from other church planters. Yeah. Who found it extremely stressful. Um, I remember one story where the pastor um, just took a year off Mm. and um, tried something different and went to biblical storytelling classes and Mm -hmm. became a biblical storyteller for a time. Um, You have so much invested in it. Much more right. than somebody who has come into an established church. Right. And um, so tell me about what some of the challenges were. One of the things that, that I found in my book, in my research, was that some things in a, in, a, in a church were harder to accomplish than others. I mean, dealing with members being disappointed, you know, their mm-hmm. own confused or grief, um, confusion or grief. Um conflict that may have existed among church members, um, dealing with members' difficult emotions, acting out and stuff like that. And then some things were not so traumatic, like um, disposing of the property, which you didn't really Hmm. have to do, but maybe you did. Um, So what were some of the things that were really challenging for you when you were closing the church? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the property because we didn't have property, obviously, but we had like a trailer full of stuff, okay. right? Okay, yeah. What did you do and, with it? Well, I don't I don't frankly know what – I mean, the, the middle of the judiciary, as far as I know, still has it. Oh, and I'm, okay. I think this has kind of been one of the most heartbreaking things is like that, I, you know, my, my senses is kind of just like going to rot. I don't know, which is I think is kind of heartbreaking. There's no legacy. Um, you see? Right. What was what I found important in my research to pastors and to congregations was hmm. the capacity to leave a legacy to the community mm-hmm. or to another church. And mm-hmm. as an as an Episcopalian 
or some Lutheran churches, that's hard to accomplish because the building mm-hmm. reverts to the diocese and the national church, and you have no control yeah. over that. Yeah. And so you can't leave a legacy by selling the building and taking the money and giving it away, as you mm-hmm. can in, for example, um, other churches, like some independent Lutheran churches. Right. right. And that um, feeling that you've made a difference. Yeah. What was your other question around conflict? Yeah. Was it difficult dealing with conflict? I think among church members. Again, I'm going to kind of one thing that really kind of, or one thing that really was difficult, um, was that as I kind of alluded to, there was kind of multiple, there was multiple, um, multiple cooks in the kitchen, um, with the mill judicatory, the network, um, the members or participants, and I know that my lay leaders. Or you, you'd say church participants were like, hey, you know, let's obviously we're kind of devastated to hear the news. Um, we're kind of like, hey, we should we should get the news out. Let's get the news out. Um, and the the middle of judicatory wanted a, a specific timing. Um, and to be frank, I I messed up the timing, um, and that caused a lot of conflict, a lot of blowback for me. Uh, that was obviously exceedingly difficult upon what was already going on. Right. That's conflict with church members and conflict with adjudicatory is an important source of stress for pastors. Mm-hmm. And many pastors had some really tough times dealing with it. How did you care for yourself in that difficult time? What were some of the things that you did to help you stay whole and healthy and I mean, I'm not, yeah, it was hard. I mean, it was hard. I think, um, you know, I say one thing is that I remember one day, you know, I was just like, you know what, there's no point in me sitting around doing stuff. And I went on a mountain bike ride. Uh-huh. So that was a good choice, I think. Um, I, you know, I think something that was a real gift to me in hindsight was uh, I did a CPE for folks unfamiliar, a clinical pastoral education residency you know, about three to four months after the church closed. That's great. So it really, really provided me a space among some safe, trusted peers just to kind of like work through my grief. That's wonderful. I did that when I had a traumatic experience in the church. Yeah. When I worked in a um, congregation that was um, what we call a clergy-killing congregation. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And... um, and had to resign, and uh, so I did CPE. It's it is a safe place to process mm-hmm. and to get back yeah. in touch with what brought you into ministry in the first place. Mm-hmm. And you're still called to the ministry now. Yeah, tell me about that transition that you made. I mean, I think this is what's been. I mean, I'm I'm literally wrestling with this right now. You know, as we speak around. Um, what that looks like, how to live that out. Um, you know, I, I, hopefully this isn't too personal to share. I was just at a conference, um, you know, and the, the presenter was talking through Genesis two and three, right? Yes. And he's talking about, um, the serpent introducing, it, it was pretty interesting. He talked about it from like a, a, the serpent introducing trauma to Adam and Eve by, 
question by making them doubt what they knew to be true about God. And um, you know, by the question, did God really say? And it it struck me that the 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 question to, if if in my head if I imagined what the serpent would say to me, the question would be, can God really be trusted? And I'd say, no, like that'd be my kind of gut response. And I think, you know, probably part of that is obviously my own backstory that I need to kind of work through. And, you know, life is just a continual, you know, what, dealing with your stuff and growing from it, right? Um, But I think that's also, as I reflect on that, kind of affected some of I don't know the decisions I made or not made, or I don't know if that makes sense, but it's definitely, um, you know, the whole thing has definitely affected kind of maybe on guard, I guess, towards church, broadly speaking. Well, I think that uh, it's justified. Yeah. Um, I just read this really good book. Uh, it's a classic, actually, called The Dream of God, mm. A Call mm-hmm. to Return. And it was written by an, an Episcopal laywoman, Verna Dozier, D-O-Z-I-E-R. And, and she says that the church made a very poor decision when it aligned itself with Constantine way back mm-hmm. when and became more concerned about its survival mm-hmm. and the adoption of the power and authority structures of society uh, rather than following Jesus, yeah, and the crucial one of the crucial issues in the church today, and it has been for centuries, is the question of authority mm-hmm. and whether it is used rightly or not. The issue of justice, mm-hmm. um, and and I agree with her that we face that conundrum um, every day in our churches and whether we ourselves are using power in a way that's appropriate, that brings Mm -hmm. justice and mercy and love into a situation and not judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's hard for an institution like the church to repent. Right, right. And we can see this, for example, in the pedophilia cases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the reluctance to acknowledge, resp- to take responsibility for issues, um, and it's in, it's in every it's in every denomination. There's right. to some extent, um, and so I think one of the things that makes the church different today from the way it used to be when I was growing up is we're just more aware of it. Mm-hmm. We've mm-hmm. become aware yeah. of the issue. Whereas when I was a child, and until I, you know, had to close my church, I trusted authority. Yeah. And um, now I think it's good for us to be wise, like a serpent, (laughs) about (laughs) Mm -hmm. the use of authority and power in the church. Yeah. And to remember that God loves us um, unconditionally, and God forgives. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I made a lot of mistakes in closing my church, mm-hmm. and one of them was rema- was remaining in denial until the very end that this mm-hmm. was something that we had to do. Yeah, and um, and so we didn't do as good a job as we could have, 
mm-hmm. um, and helping people to maintain a relationship with the institutional church. Mm-hmm. They felt hurt by it, as I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I count it as the ble- one of the blessings of God being present among us that um, they loved Bible study, and they kept it up after the church closed. Wow. The, it just grew bigger and bigger when we were in our last days and months, mm-hmm. um, so that most people participated in Bible study once a week. Mm-hmm. And then when the church closed, they just moved it to a bagel store, and they called themselves St. Bagels. <laughs> That's great. And they um, and they just kept it up, and then they cared for one another. Mm. Uh, they maintained that presence of Jesus among them. That's very hopeful. So that is my hope for every church that closes, is that people mm-hmm. maintain a relationship with God through the Word and through one another. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not so afraid of the closing or death of a church now as I was because I've been through it. Mm -hmm. And I see resurrection in that um, I'm a new person. I have a new ministry. Um, They maintain their relationship with the food pantry that the church founded. Mm -hmm. Um, So they still volunteer at the food pantry, and we were one of the founding churches. So God has been present with us, despite despite the fact that we screw up and make mistakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just sad that uh, some of them have refused to gone back to the institutional church. That's yeah. That's the thing that makes me sad. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, how did the the um. What unexpected blessings did you experience? Gosh, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever thought about that, to be frank. And I don't know like, if I would have anything to say. That's a short answer. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, when we're in the darkness, it's hard to see beyond the fog. Yeah, it's, it is. It's foggy. It can be foggy at times. We get that here in California. So how did... How did you come to your current position? Um, how did I? You know, so I'm working for United Methodist Church right now, uh-huh. um, and working bivocationally in um, affordable housing. Um, but as far as the the church job goes, it was really just an op. You know, kind of a looking out and kind of seeing what other options were out there. Um, part of the challenge is just I'm in a a region where my denomination doesn't have a lot of church presence. And with my parents, you know, um, married young, younger kids, uh, both grandparents, such sets of grandparents are in the area. So it really was important for our family to, uh, to stay in the area. Plus my wife is the, really the breadwinner winner of the family. So, um, really just got fortunate to, to find something, um, in the area that kind of resonated with, you know, where was an opportunity to serve, serve in church. So what sacred stories, what Bible stories have been helpful to you? Hmm. Or by biblical figures? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I think m- maybe, I don't know if this makes sense, Gail, but I feel like I'm, t- you know, two and a half years out from closing, right? And I feel like I'm 
finally to the point where I can talk about it without being overwhelmed with grief, if that makes sense. Of course it does. Of course it does. I'm 11 years out and I still grieve. Yeah. So I don't know. That's a good question. I'm still processing what happened. Yeah. I'm still saying I should have, I could have. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Yeah. But I think some of those Bible stories are really helpful to me, especially St. Paul, because mm-hmm. he really messed up. Yeah. Um, but he had the courage and the faith to keep on going and trying and trying to do better the next day than he did the day before. Mm-hmm. Just picked himself up. And I think that one of the things that um, we experience, of course, grief is is anger and anxiety and mm-hmm. sadness and i mm-hmm. and i have all of those um but i think what has helped me a lot is uh trying to live in the present with the gifts that god gives me for the day mm-hmm. and realizing that being a pastor isn't the only thing i am <laughs> mhm mhm um, and it is important to me, but it is one of many things that I am. Um, and that's what many of the pastors in my study found. Some of them just took an early retirement if they were close enough. Yeah. Because it was just so hard. Yeah. Um, I know I didn't want to go back into church ministry after I closed my church. Yeah. Um, so many of the pastors in my study did other things after their church closed. One woman, for example, um, started a company developing curriculum for children's Sunday school Mm -hmm. because that's what she felt called to do. Another woman pastor um, founded a church for homeless people that met in a public space on a Sunday morning, and she would... um, celebrate the Eucharist with them and she, you know, make peanut butter, they'd make peanut butter sandwiches and feed them and they'd had a clothes closet for them. And, and that was her new ministry. Um, many became chaplains. Yeah. Um, hospital chaplaincy, hospice chaplaincy, college chaplaincy. Um, these were some of the the vocational choices that people made after they closed their churches because they they had the grief and they just um, had to set it aside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I had to do. So that's why I wrote my book. That was setting my grief aside for a while so that I could uh, put what happened to me in perspective. And let me ask, let me ask you a question, if I sure. may. Sure. This just kind of came to me because this is something I've been wrestling with, Gail, is, you know, like I said, it's been two and a half years out. Like, I've wondered, like, is it worth writing? Like, because you kind of wrote, I mean, obviously, The Last Pastor is not just your story, although it has elements of your story throughout. Like, do you think that was helpful for your grieving? Because oh, I've been kind of sure like. it was. Because when I interviewed each pastor, and each mm-hmm. interview took about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I realized I wasn't alone. Mm. I wasn't the only one who had to go through this. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, I realized I did a lot 
I had it a lot easier than a lot of other people did. Wow. I mean, because there were people in clergy killing churches. Yeah. And, and to hear their stories just broke my heart. Yeah. Um, you know, where people would attack their pastor publicly in meetings or even in their offices and hmm. nothing they did was right or they would spread rumors in the community about the pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that didn't happen to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I realized I did have some blessings. I had some protection. I had some safety that other people didn't have. Yeah. And like, can I ask, and do you think sure. it's helpful for like, cause I've wondered like, is it worth me right? Right. like a, I wouldn't write a book, obviously, but right. like a big blog post for sure. something. I think that like, would be a blessing. Well, I also think that what you're doing in your podcast is a blessing to the community, <laughs> to the whole church. Thank you. When did you start doing that? Well, it was, it's one of the things that is carried over, I guess, from the, the new church start. So that's, I guess, you know, a blessing because it was something that I started kind of as a, a side in ministry, to use a word from the new church during COVID. Yes. You know, so that's, I guess, one tangible, um, I mean, I guess this is the thing about grief, right? It's just sometimes hard to see the forests or the trees. But that's a gift you're bringing to the church. Yeah. And certainly to me, um, through this conversation and through the, all the conversations that you've had with other pastors about the challenges that they faced and the re- spiritual resources that they bring and um, and how it's affected their lives and mm-hmm. what their journey's been like. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, I hope I hope for our listeners this has been been a good perspective and i i know we could have talked a lot longer um but i do really want to recommend the book the last pastor it's called faithfully steering a closing church um definitely recommend it for someone who's going through a church closer closure may have one in the future you know or frankly just know someone um who's dealt with such so um let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Pastor Gail Caffarata. Did I say that right, Caffarata? Yes, you did. Yes. <laughs> I'm sick. That's okay. Uh, so, Pastor Gail, uh, I always tell these folks you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. Sure. Uh, but if, if you're Pope for a day, what might that day look like for you? Um, I think that I would issue a decree, which would be— a request, mm-hmm. a request that um, Christians everywhere get into small groups with people that they know, and they may not be in the same denomination or the same church, mm-hmm. but just form a small group and study the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Luke mm. um, and do Alexio Divina on them. You know, you know what that kind of Bible mm-hmm. study is? where you read it, uh, a scripture, and then you sit in silence with it, and you meditate on it, and then you read it again, and then you have another reflection on it, and then um, you share if you want, Mm -hmm. and you certainly contemplate on how God has spoken to you in the time of quiet. Um, And I pick the Gospel of Luke, and I pick the Beatitudes, because I think one of the 
struggles that the contemporary church is having now, the source of polarization in the church and also in our nation, um, is this increasing split and divide between the evangelical Christians and the progressive Christians. Yeah. And the Gospel of Luke, um, for me, embraces what Jesus' central message is about love. Hmm. And mercy and sacrifice, um, and not judging, but caring, like mm-hmm. the Good Samaritan. Yeah. And um, so that everybody would just sort of gather for a few, you know, one hour, let's say, and do Bible study together. That, If I were a pope for a day, that's what I would do. That's good. I like that. I've, I don't know if I've heard something to that extent. I like that. Um a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life? Well, today is the Feast of St. Francis. Oh, okay. So St. Francis for sure. Yeah. Um, because of his um, holistic understanding of creation, mm-hmm. uh, which we desperately need in the world because of mm-hmm. the climate crisis um, and because of the polarization that we have. We need to be able to remember that everybody and everything is a creation of God hmm. and so deserving of reverence hmm. and worthy of honor and respect. Hmm. And if there's been brokenness, worthy of healing, hmm. deserving of healing. Yeah. And St. Francis had that spirituality. Um, and his appreciation of the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, the plants. Um, and he he had a theology of mercy um, for those people who had made great mistakes at the time that he lived. So I would love to meet him. I love that today is that day as we're recording October this. 4th is his day. Yeah. Um, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Oh, I think that the evil of Christian nationalism, mm-hmm. which is an oxymoron. Right. I really think it's an oxymoron because of its authoritarianism, its intolerance, its racism, its sexism, um, its divisiveness, um, and its lack of mercy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, lack of uh, respect for people of other faiths. Uh, for the Jews, for the Muslims, for the Hindus, mm-hmm. and um, and Saint Francis, and I think Verna Dozier also in her book, the the Dream of God, mm-hmm. um, and and the Beatitudes, all those three sources of streams of spiritual literature. Um, I think people will remember that you know we've forgotten those. We we yeah. have we have not paid attention. We've not listened. And uh, and I, I'm afraid. I'm sorry about that. We we will be remembered for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are your hopes? Something more hopeful. What are your yeah, hopes my hope is that we will be faithful. <laughs> That's faithful good. to Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. Not just in what we believe, um, and not just in what we pray, but mm-hmm. in what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, in Anglican theology, actually, it's 
precedes Anglican theology, but in Anglican theology, it was boiled down to lex credendi, which the law of belief, lex Mm -hmm. orandi, or the law of prayer, and lex whatever the word is for uh, agenti, for acting, Hmm. for acting, for doing the word of God. We've forgotten the doing. Yeah. And we have a lot of people in the world today who are doing, who are being faithful, and I'm grateful to them. And I just, we just need to keep on working at it. Um, working with the World Council of Churches, um, working with any kind of uh, NGO that's trying to overcome religious hate in the world, um, working with organizations who have taken the leadership in opposing um, intolerance uh, of different faiths, intolerance of people of different races. Um, and that's that gives me hope that there are those groups out there working on that. Um, and I join them in prayer, and I join them with my uh, preaching, and I, and I join them with my financial contributions, you know, that are those tax-deductible things, um, to strengthen those organizations that are witness to the love of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, Where can people either connect with you or assume that your book is available about anywhere, you know, the big big retailers? Yes. Um, I also have a Facebook page where I post my sermons. Mm -hmm. Um, I have two Facebook pages, a personal one, Gail Cafferata, and then I have the professional one, Gail Cafferata, writer, W-R-I-T-E-R. Okay. And, the, and my email is attached to that one. Okay. Well, again, the book is The Last Pastor, Faithfully Steering a Closing Church. Highly recommend it. Um, Gail always leaves folks with a word of peace. So may God's peace be with you. And also with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.